Welcome to Yoke Talk, a look behind the scenes at Yoke Youth Ministries. Yoke is transforming communities by mentoring middle school students, equipping young leaders, engaging local churches, and enriching local schools. And in each episode of Yoke Talk, we have a conversation with the people who are making that happen. Hey, uh, Yoke family, uh, Jonathan here. I'm here with one of our, our friends, Eric Minton. Uh, Eric, for those of uh, those on the in the audience who might not know who you are, why don't you take a few minutes uh, and introduce yourself? Tell us about yourself. Yeah. Hey, y'all. I'm Eric. I'm a marriage and family therapist, uh, and I am also an ordained Baptist minister. It's a fun combo at parties. Uh, I uh, have a uh, a private practice that I share with my wife, who's also a marriage and family therapist. Uh, it's called Minton Family Therapy. Uh, I usually work there a couple of days a week in private practice. And then I spend the other four days working at the home of the Bobcats at Central High School here in Fountain City, where I do uh, individual and family therapy with students there. And how has this uh, kind of the COVID-19 pandemic, how has that affected your work? Well, all of it's uh, in this format. I only meet with people over the phone or through my computer. And so that has created its own difficulties. Uh, For myself personally, uh, when I'm not doing this job, I'm also parenting my son and expected to give him a full smattering of educational and uh, enriching activities in a 1600 square foot house. So, (laughs) you know, so knowing that that's what I'm experiencing uh, and then hanging out with all the people that I work with, um, that's a significant thing that's happening to us. So uh, naturally, even the medium itself is different right now. Well, I know uh, you're, you're a fan of Yoke. You're a fan of what we do. And uh, we, we had you come and speak at our leadership summit back in January. So all of our leaders who were there are now fans of, of Eric Minton as well. Uh, we had you on uh, Yoke Live, uh, I don't know, what was it, a couple of weeks ago now? Yeah. And, and you and I have kind of been having this conversation about kind of the, the mental and the emotional health aspects of kind of the anxiety of, of the, the COVID-19 pandemic and, and kind of worrying about our health, worrying about our economy, and all at the same time kind of being isolated and not being able to interact as much with the people that we love. And um, so we wanted to uh, just kind of get your thoughts uh, for uh, our viewers just to kind of talk about how we can take care of ourselves and take care of others during this time. Yeah. And I, those are really good questions that uh, I think right now they're great for us to ask um, because we do have both more and less free time than we're used to. Uh, And so this is a great time for a lot of us to kind of spend some time thinking through uh, what is uh, what we're doing. um, How is it impacting us regularly? And are there some things that we might tweak or change in light of the COVID-19 restrictions that are, are keeping us in our homes? And are there some things that we want to hold on to that we've picked up along the way? So for me, when I'm thinking about how to be most helpful uh, right now with folks that I'm seeing uh, for individual or family work or people that I'm just interacting with that are friends and family, um, the first thing I think that's most important is to, to notice what you are experiencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think typically what happens with a lot of the things that get labeled Um, depression, anxiety, uh, any other kind of psychological diagnostic criteria that you Google on yourself in the middle of the night when your chest hurts. Uh, Dr. Google is great at answering all your questions if the answer you're seeking is you're going to die. And so that that only ramps up after midnight. Uh, But speaking personally, um, but but what I like to do instead of that is to first of all- You have a therapist nearby though. 
Yeah, I do. I, <laughs> she won't see me though. I keep asking. But uh, one of the most important things that I think a lot of us do is that we bring that kind of diagnostic language into the room where even people that I'm seeing sometimes for the first time are giving me a battery of symptoms mm-hmm. and diagnostic criteria that they've assigned to themselves. And then my first thought is, yeah, but what is that like for you to experience that? How does that impact what you're, what's it, what you're going through? Um, and so for us, like sometimes right now, it's just important. Like what are the feelings that I have? Like, I know I, I call it anxiety, but like, what is that? What am I anxious about? Um, and so I would say the first thing is just kind of paying attention to it for a bit. It's uh, a little bit like my son right now, who's five. And if I uh, don't initially respond to the first 13 dead, dad 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 it just gets louder at a certain point yeah and then i'm like why are you shouting at me and then i realized oh i should have just asked and responded the first time you said this i'm really sorry son Uh, our bodies kind of work the same way Uh, right now the idea that you would be totally yourself in the midst of a global pandemic where you are trapped in your house is ludicrous that you would be living your best life right now that doesn't make any sense so first thing we have to do is just notice what we're experiencing maybe it is anxiety maybe it is depression i don't know but we have to know what it is and uh, like what it's doing to us physiologically and what it's doing to us psychologically. Um, so just studying it for a bit, I think is the first step. And then the next thing I would tell people is empathize with it. Uh, notice what it's asking of you, because for a lot of us, we hear words like anxiety and depression and we get really scared. Like mm-hmm. something's wrong with us that we have like a loose hose in our brain. Yeah. And oftentimes in our culture, we're taught to immediately suppress this, or deny it, or not give it any kind of air or oxygen or or listen to it at all. It's lying to us. Mm -hmm. Or we need to immediately medicate it because there's something biologically wrong with us. Um, And for me, I just haven't found that to be very helpful. I think Uh, so. Yeah, go ahead, Jonathan. Sorry. I think that for those of us who are people of faith, sometimes it's even worse because we we think, oh, that's a lack of faith or it's it's doubt and we shouldn't be experiencing that. We just kind of try to suppress it, push it aside. And, and it's, not, it's not altogether Christianity's fault. Uh, I think that a lot of us are taking the ways in which our faith understands um, that we're not supposed to fear or that we're supposed to uh, be courageous or strong-willed or that we're supposed to have the, the operate with the power of the resurrection in light of Easter. And these things are accurate. Um, but at the same time, I think we have to keep ourselves in mind that we're also operating from a, a culture that is interested in the anxious pursuit of happiness at all costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so sometimes what ends up happening to us is that in that pursuit, um, we're very often minimizing our body's check engine light. Uh, and I, I think that uh, uh, several mentors of mine that have been very instructive in my own work as a therapist have taught me that depression is less of a clinical diagnosis and more of a body's noticing that what you're currently experiencing and trying to live through is not entirely humane that you're trying to survive in an uninhabitable landscape and that depression is kind of the first symbol or sign that your body can't do it anymore. It's uninterested in it. And that if you don't pay attention to it, it's going, the engine's going to start smoking and it's going to ask you to pull over to the side of the road. Right. So I think for me, that's, that's the first, the first thing is just noticing what's going on with you. Don't label it and just, just pay attention to it. Second thing, empathize with it. What does it want for you? Um, And then very often with depression and anxiety, they're not these, you know, like, like boogie, boogie men and women. I'm equal opportunity. They can be boogie women. Um, but they are, uh, they're these things. That, anxiety is a tool. And gosh, it's really helpful if you're in the middle of the street and there's a garbage truck coming at you. I love anxiety for that. 
Right. It's terrible at solving complex problems right now. It's not very helpful at that. It can't even grocery shop effectively, but it's good for keeping you alive. And so I think right now it's the first thing we have to notice with all these things is that like they, they want humans to stay alive, these experiences that you're happening. And they're just going about them in a way that's chaotic and fragmented and scared. And so the worst thing we can do is ignore them. Uh, I think paying attention to them for a second and asking us, how are these things trying to be helpful for us and aren't um, is a good kind of second step there. Does that make sense so far? I, I, sometimes I don't make sense. So <laughs> I just like to check in. Yeah. What's next? Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so then once you've got those two things, I think then really spending some time with what's actually true, mm. like what's true with me right now in this very moment, not like what's going to be true five years from now or what's going to be true five days from now, or when's this shelter at home order going to be lifted or all of these things that are far outside of our purview or control. It's no, like what's true for me? Who am I connected to? What am I doing now? What am I doing with my hands? How much time have I spent outside? How much time have I spent looking at a screen? How much time have I spent talking with loved ones, whether on the phone or FaceTime or via Zoom? What have I been doing for my community? Uh, what's been taken away from me that I miss? Mm-hmm. Really taking a battery or a, um, a full accounting of like, what's actually going on with you right now? Mm-hmm. What's true about you? Because the truth might be, and I think this is where therapy sometimes gets a bad rap, is that sometimes people think when they go see a therapist that a therapist is going to tell them, oh, just tell yourself everything is going to be all right. It's, it's not very helpful. It's not terribly true and people don't believe it. But I do think what oftentimes when we feel or experience the symptoms of depression and anxiety, what we find out is that the things that depression and anxiety tell us about who we are as people or about our sense of safety in the world, some of that is accurate, that we're undergoing a global pandemic and we're trapped at home. That's true. And pretending it's not as alive, but that we're completely alone and cut off from people, that no one cares for us, that we're unloved, that we're ignored, that we don't have any value, that we're completely out of control. Those things are inaccurate. But if we don't first listen and notice what's happening to ourselves, we don't know kind of what to speak truth to Mm. first. If you don't know what you're afraid of, it's difficult to then determine why it's irrational. And so that's what I usually like to tell people. The third third step is just paying attention to what's actually true about you right now. Who are you connected to? What's what's real about your situation, even if it's hard? Um, And I think that then that leads us to the fourth step, which is uh, what's the next right thing? Because for us, I think sometimes it can be this experience for um, so many of us that we get overwhelmed by the bigness of the problem. Uh, And when uh, I spent time uh, working with uh, a codependency support group in one of my first internship placements in graduate school, uh, one of the things that they taught us when we're working with people that are coming out of addiction is that sometimes when people would get sober, they would become overwhelmed by the bigness of the problems that they had kind of awaiting them from years of being addicted to substances. And so then the bigness of the problem and their inability to immediately fix it would then send them right back in whatever uh, addiction that they were experiencing before. Yeah. Um, so for us, I think that the, the problems right now kind of have a similar role. Right. And so what we want to try to do in that moment is spend our time, not what's the next right thing five days from now or five weeks from now when things may or may not open back up, or five months from now when things may or may not open back up. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, But I think it's, what's the next right thing five minutes from now? Mm -hmm. Is there someone we need to call? Is there someone we need to be connected to when the anxiety is noticing that like, I I feel trapped. I feel like I can't get outside. I feel like I can't get enough air. I feel like I can't get my head around what's going on. That's when it's time to go for a walk. Because the next right thing is to take a walk. Or when we're feeling alone and isolated and ignored, 
and we're, we're getting really down and we, we look at the screen and the screen sucks our souls out. And then we think to ourselves, gosh, I'm really depressed right now. And it's like, what is, what does your depression want for you? How's it trying to be helpful? It's like, oh, it wants me to be connected to people. I feel really alone. It's like, oh, well then that's when we actually have to use our screens for good. Uh, so I think spending some time, first of all, noticing what's happening to yourself, mm-hmm. uh, noticing what it wants for you, like what it's scared about, mm-hmm. uh, noticing what's true about who you are as a person and what's going on in your actual life and not on the news. And then noticing what's the next right thing for me. Um, and I think sometimes it's nice to have that kind of grounding element for us, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I love that, that advice that just doing the next right thing. And, you know, like you said, that, that might be getting out of bed. It might, <laughs> it might be something simple, like I'm going to take a shower and get dressed today. Uh, you know, because so many, so many of us are just kind of stuck in the house, but uh, you know, making a phone call, checking on a friend, checking on a family member, that, that's all such great practical advice. Um, I know, you know, you're, you're obviously doing a lot of therapy, teletherapy. Uh, what about uh, what, any advice you have or resources that you know of for people who might kind of be struggling and, and need somebody to talk to at these times? Yeah, and I, th- and I think I mentioned this the first time when we did our, our live stream. There's a couple of, of really great options. Um, right now, almost everyone, if they're seeing people in person right now, you need to report them to the authorities. But um, that's a joke, but really they should be seeing anyone in person. Um, but right now, if you go to Psychology Today, uh, which is a website, and there's a classified section, and for whatever reason, it's become a pretty um, straightforward go-to source in our area for therapists just listing themselves. And so they'll list specialties, they'll list insurances, they'll list rates, they'll list um, their approaches, they'll give a, a brief blurb about what's going on for them, they'll usually have a picture of them and their office space, uh, and all of it's a way for people to easily and non-invasively kind of interact with who in my community is offering these kinds of services and what kinds of services do they offer and who might I think to be a good fit for me. Uh, And then they give us a really straightforward way of either sending an email directly through that site where it can just say email this provider right here, or you can even call them in the psychology today listing. You'll just click the tab that says call this person and that will connect them to a secure line that will reach out to that therapist. You'll probably leave a message. Um, And so I would say that's a great place to start. Um, if you don't have friends or family members that you know of that, uh, have seen a therapist that they like or trust, um, I usually tell people fit is the most important thing. So first of all, a a good fit is somebody who calls you back. That's a good sign. Uh, the second thing is somebody who's willing to be flexible with what you're asking for. So if you call a therapist and you ask for certain things and they say, this is what I do, uh, and they attempt to kind of take what you're asking for and cram it into what they do, that's not necessarily all that research tells us is not terribly helpful for people. So what, what ends up being helpful for folks is uh, an experience where a therapist pays attention to and listens to what you're asking him or her to do and not do. And then they collaborate with you on finding a good solution together. And then they regularly check in with you about what can and cannot be helpful moving forward. Um, and so I would t- tell you, uh, just like I would tell anybody else, when you first meet a therapist, gosh, the most important thing for you is to just get a good feel for Mm -hmm. how the conversation goes. Do you like their energy? Do you appreciate what's going on? Do you feel heard and valued? Those are kind of like those basic life skills that you have developed for years of meeting friends and family members. That's very helpful for choosing a therapist. So it's not this weird kind of difficult experience. It's just, is there a human that makes sense to you that when you read their materials and you talk with them on the phone or via email, that it seems like this person is a good fit. Um, that's kind of the first step. And the second step is that, gosh, if, if I can be helpful, um, you know, I have other 
source of information that I consult. If you are interested in uh, having just asking some questions about therapy or about how it works or about uh, how to go about getting a referral or how, like, you know, how do I build my health? Injury? Like if you have questions about that, uh, it's kind of a weird time. So please uh, just feel free to send me an email. Uh, if you go to my website, uh, it's just www.mintonfamilytherapy.com and there's a contact us thing at the bottom of every page. And you can just send us a, an email right through that. And I'll get back to you in a timely manner. But if your question is, gosh, I'm new to this. I don't, I'm not quite sure what I'm looking for, or I don't know how this works. Um, you know, I, I, I consider myself part of the extended yoke family, like a weird uncle. <laughs> so I, you know, I went to your leadership retreat. It was a great fun. I played basketball at like one o'clock in the morning and have been sore since then. So uh, <laughs> I want to uh, just to kind of extend that offer again. Thank like if part of the yoke family. <laughs> thank you. So, it, it, so if I can be helpful in that way. Um, Gosh, I'd love to be. So, uh, you know, either start with Psych Today. They've got a good list. But also, if that doesn't elicit anything that you're looking for, or you feel concerned or confused about something, gosh, just shoot me an email through my website. Awesome. Well, Eric, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you for uh, your ministry in the community. And thank you for uh, your partnership with you. We're glad to have you. Oh, yeah. I'm glad to be helpful. Everybody stay well as much as you can, or at least change your pants every so often. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. All right. See you, man. To learn more about Yoke, visit yokeyouth.com. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. And follow us on Instagram at yokeyouth.com.